Welcome to the Buff Show, AM 950, 94.9 FM, The Answer Orlando. Matt Buff, your host here, sitting and chilling in the Liam Fitzpatrick studio, getting ready for Christmas. And I, I want you to all to know, go see Spider-Man, man. No Way Home. Very cool movie. Go check it out. They, they didn't pay me to say that. I just have to tell you. Check out thebuffshow.com for past shows, interviews, and so much more. Great to be with you on this Friday evening on The Buff Show. And we're all in America. We're getting ready for Christmas. We're doing our thing. But there's some people that are not here for Christmas this year. All right? No matter what they tell you, Jen Psaki, Joe Biden, no matter what they tell you, there's people still trapped in Afghanistan. And I want to bring on somebody who knows all about it, author of the 20-year war, Tom Amenta. Welcome to the Buff Show. Very serious topic, but we can't let this go, man. No, no, Buff, we can't. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that right now you mentioned uh, this second, um, the team at Save Our Allies, who have been doing absolutely amazing work, are currently trying to fundraise to get 55 Americans with American passports or American green cards out of Afghanistan right now, this second, as everyone is listening. Okay, so let's let's level set a couple of things. When we pulled out of Afghanistan, I was I was part of at the time trying to do what I could as a, as a veteran and a former member of the 75th Ranger Regiment to get some people out. I'm, I'm lucky enough to say that we were able to do some good work there. Um, Secretary of State Lincoln was like, we think there might be one to 200 that didn't get out, which is inexcusable, period. But even now, if it was week, 200, yeah, even yeah, if it was. Now, now this week it's come out that he's admitted that it was over 500 in the State Department press release, which, by the way, the people like me and the people that are continuing to fight this fight have known this forever. It's just that the administration has continued to lie about it. So I, I really encourage everyone, like, if, you know, in the spirit of giving and in the spirit of if you believe that I know the way that you and I both do, in Americans belong in America, and we as a nation cannot turn our back on our citizens. SaveOurAllies.org. They're currently trying to raise $350,000, which I know sounds like a lot of money. I promise you when you've got to go into a hostile area as a private citizen because your government won't bring its own citizens home, it, it is not a cheap endeavor. And they are currently trying to get 55 Americans out right now this second as everyone is watching and reading this. Like, this is not a joke. And the story has gone away in the media, but the fight to save Americans has never, ever stopped. It's not going to go away tonight on the Buff Show. Um, we want to make sure that we get the stories that you have, Tom, out there. And a lot of our listeners are like, 20-year war, 20-year war. I've heard that before on the show. That's because we had Bo si uh, Simmons on. Yep. We had Bo on the show to talk about it, about the book. And Tom is also heavily involved in the book. Let me give some background on Tom, everybody. Leveraging the success that he had at Ranger Up. He helped produce and start in the only fully veteran-produced Hollywood movie, Range 15. <laughs> passionate. Tom, you're a passionate advocate for veteran and entrepreneurship, right? You're out there uh, assisting yep. veterans in the transition. And, and you led them to uh, authorizing. You know, you authorized. Tom did a lot of the interview. Uh, I'm sorry. Bo did a lot of the interviews mm -hmm. and went around the country and did a great job. But what a fascinating so story. I want you guys, if you, did, if you missed that, to go back and listen to that interview. But you authorized this book, The 20-Year War, because, mm -hmm. Tom, you lived it, my friend. You know, I uh, I was in, I was 18, graduated uh, high school in 1999, and knew that if I went to college, I was going to be a screw up. So I wanted to grow up and and get a little bit of discipline. So I enlisted 
uh, for a Ranger contract, made it in the 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, and then uh, 9-11, 2000, a day that, you know, a little over 20 years ago happened that we all remember. I was actually in Germany as a member of the 2nd Ranger Battalion. We were getting ready to go on a, on a training exercise that none of us wanted to go on in Bravo Company, by the way, because everyone else in the battalion was all going to get four days off in Europe. So, like, all my friends are teasing us about how they're going one place or the other, and we're all like, upset, right? And then 9-11 happened. We heard about it. Um, we were the only um, American force that was allowed to like train. They like, yeah, you guys are going to go do your thing. Uh, two combat tours in, in Afghanistan. After that, I uh, went to the University of Illinois, got my degree in political science, focused on international relationships in the Middle East, actually. So uh, I was dumb enough to not only go live it, but then like go like talk about it for four years in the college and listen to people tell me how wrong I was because you know, actually had been there, you know, education. Um, and then from there, I uh, was one of the founders of the military lifestyle apparel company, Ranger Up, like you said. And, and we did uh, make the movie Range 15, which uh, is not quite Spider-Man No Way Home, which, by the way, Buff, do not spoil that for me. I have I'm not, not seen it. I'm not going to say anything okay. about that movie. I'm just Nothing. saying, my guy. Like, you got to see it. <laughs> I'm just saying, you seem like a pretty cool dude, but like, please, like, so no, like, the. You know, so, uh, but yeah, we, we did that. That's the first veteran produced comedy. And then, uh, yeah, I, I teamed up with Bo, uh, his childhood best friend, who I also served with the National Guard and is also a former member of the 2nd Ranger Battalion, uh, Dan Blakely. And uh, we, you know, we took the stories and I had the privilege of taking all the audio files that uh, Bo got on his interviews and and taking those veterans and crafting their their narratives into a story that was was easy to follow for the audience. Uh, I'm listed as the writer and, and really, I, I don't think that's appropriate if I'm being honest. I think that it was just, uh, I had the privilege and I really do mean it. I had the privilege of, of hearing these stories and, and cleaning them up so they were a little easier to read and marrying them with the gorgeous photos that Bo took of them and showing America who the uh, modern veteran is. It's just amazing. When we were talking to Bo about what you guys have done here, it's just, the stories that you hear from these people, I mean, they're 18 tours on some, I mean, there were some yeah. huge tours, phenomenal yeah. stories. And oh, yeah. there were sometimes Bo said he was sitting there in the interview. I just can't believe what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Oh, so one of them, um, uh, Tim Kennedy, who is maybe the most quote unquote famous veteran that we have, uh, current SF National Guardsman, multiple combat tours with them, uh, fought in the UFC, has had a couple of his own TV shows and everything. Uh, I Tim was also one of the founders of Ranger Up. So I've been friends with Tim for years. I mean, and so I know Tim really, really well. And so they start. I start listening to the audio file. Dan and Bo had both been there for this interview. I'm 45 seconds into the interview and I turn it off and I call Dan. And I'm like, can I use this? Like, are, are we actually going to write this up? And, and he's like, yeah, Tim's cool. I'm like, these were all this, these were all the stories of like what we knew Tim as our friend, but like, you know, like his, his, his agent and all these other people, like do not, you know, like don't, you know, like this is his private life, not as, not as public facing life. And Tim's like, yeah, man, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do that. And Tim actually um, has his memoirs on pre-order now, right. Two scars and stripes. So got to give a plug for my boy. Um, but yeah, it's just amazing to, it was amazing the authenticity and it was amazing the honesty and the, the truth that each one of these 71 different veterans was just willing to, to be there and to give America some insight into why they served, um, what they did in their service, what their transition was like. And then also showing us that the second greatest generation, which is what I believe 
the men and women that have served in the past 20 years are to this country and how they're continuing to serve this great nation, how they're continuing to be local community leaders and business leaders and entrepreneurs and continuing to make this country the greatest country in the world. Well, I got to ask you, Tom Amenta, I got to ask you, when you signed up to serve mm -hmm. and you watch what happened on 9-11 mm -hmm. and then you went over to Germany, you went, you did all these tours and Ranger School, you did all this mm -hmm. stuff. Yes, sir. Did why did you do it? Did you do it to leave Americans stranded all over the world under Taliban rule? Did you do it to bring Afghans, Afghanis here that aren't verified? I mean, why are you on board with that? What does so, that make you feel? And why did you do this? So I'll break it down a couple of things. One, I, I served because I believe that America is the greatest nation in the world. And if, and, and if not me to defend her and her interests, then him, right? I, you know, that, that was the drive. Also, I'm the oldest of four and, you know, I wasn't ready for school. Uh, my siblings, you know, my two sisters fell, fell right behind me. One grabbed summa cum laude, one grab graduated magna cum laude. They were ready. Um, so better that they have the, the financial means that my parents, you know, had, you know, being the oldest of four, you know, do the big brother thing. Um, so that was certainly a, a, a calculation in it. Um, I, I find, there has been nothing on this issue that I've looked at the Biden administration that I haven't wanted to find the largest dose of truth serum I could possibly give the current president, jam that thing in his, in, into his, in, right into his vein and make him start telling me honest truth to the American people because he's been lying through his teeth the entire time. To start off with his very first speech, he talked about this over the horizon capability. Well, we're, the, the one missile drone strike that we talk about that we, he authorized in the 11th hour after he lost his boots on the ground, we killed an aid worker. Okay, so yeah, this is going right. stunningly. Um, he mentioned three other theaters of conflict for asymmetrical warfare and counterterrorism in Iraq. We have 2,000 troops there. Syria, about the same. As a matter of fact, Americans just got froggy 48 hours ago doing what we need to do to keep America safe. Um, you know, the Horn of Africa, I literally, I live in Omaha, Nebraska now. I was literally having a conversation with a mother of an airman who's here off at Air Force Base in Omaha, and how excited she is that her son is finally coming home after an 11-month tour at Camp Lemonier. So please, how is it that we, you know, it, there's never been congruency in this policy. Like his counterterrorism strategy outside of Afghanistan was limited, small, light footprint of intelligence and advisors and special operations troops, which is completely appropriate. So he didn't do it there. Then we leave in the absolute disaster I mean, unmitigated disaster in which the pullout was for what? Because it was the 20 year anniversary of 9-11 of and he wanted to say that he left. OK, now we are we have frozen the Afghan assets. We say what you want about the Taliban. And I've got all sorts of opinions about them and how we've mismanaged that from a diplomatic standpoint, in addition to the military of, of leaving Bagram Airfield. I mean, I could go for Matt, I could go for three hours on all that. But we're now in a situation where um, recently three former ambassadors across party lines to Afghanistan or envoys uh, and senior military commanders, including General Petraeus, are citing statistics saying that they estimate by March of 2022, 97% of Afghans will be living below the extreme poverty line if the world doesn't do something. Okay. There comes a point where, where I, the other thing is, is I didn't, I didn't get into to being in the military to be Rambo. Okay. I didn't get in there to, to, to shoot every bad guy and, you know, 
some someday have a movie made about me. I, I did it to serve. And I did it because I not only believe America is the greatest nation in the world, but we're the greatest nation in the world because there's more opportunity here. And because this is the place that you can come from any walk of life. You're a good, honest, hardworking human being who wants to make the world a better place and make something of yourself. So when I hear um, 97% of, an or- of a country are going to be in extreme poverty, it's like, so what are we? So we broke this. We broke this yeah. in the way that we left. We broke this in frozen. So what are we going to do about it? And so far, the administration who claims to be on the right side of human rights and claims all of these, like we're the, we're all of these things. I'm like, wait a minute, you're going to actually let this happen. You broke it, dude. How are we going to fix this? And maybe I agree with, maybe I agree with his ideas. Maybe I don't, but it's like, we don't even have a plan. There's, there's, there's no plan to fix it. It's just, oh, well, you know, um, the Taliban, Taliban bat. Yeah. Well, you did a deal with them where they were the outer ring of security as we were trying to get people through the gates that had American passports that were getting the tar kicked out of them. Okay. Like you didn't do anything in the Panjir Valley right after we left when the Pakistanis are literally flying predator drones that they bought from us with hellfire missiles. They bought from us killing our allies and taking the Valley over for the Taliban. You sat there and twiddled your thumbs. Like what the hell, man? Like you can't hold talk that sides of your mouth on this issue. Hold that thought, Tom, because I gotta I gotta dive into this with you okay. because right now their their move is to just move on. That yes. like so we can't 100%. we can't do anything about people vacationing in Afghanistan. Stay with us on the Buff Show. We'll be right back with Tom Amenta. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. Happy hour every day of the week and all day Sunday. Dollar off drafts and house wines, $2 off well liquors. And Liam Fitzpatrick's has tons of special events this weekend. It's brunch with $10 champagne, then Monday's trivia night. Liam Fitzpatrick does catering and has a private room for your meetings and parties. Mention the Buff Show and get 10% off your order. Liam Fitzpatrick's Restaurant and Irish Pub in Lake Mary. LiamFitzpatrick's.com. Welcome back to The Buff Show, AM 950, 94.9 FM, The Answer, Orlando, Matt Buff, your host here in the Liam Fitzpatrick studio, where we're not letting something go. We're not letting go the fact that this Christmas, there's a lot of Americans that are living under Taliban rule that have been forgotten by this administration and their horrible handling of this evac, this evac that just went so poorly, 13 lost lives. Many, many, many more injured. And then the people that are still stranded there, not setting up Christmas trees, let me tell you that. And they're not vacationing in Afghanistan. Tom Momenta, that's exactly what Jim Jen Saki said just two days ago. We don't speak to how people are vacationing. Uh, having been there a couple of times, Matt, and having still getting messages from people over there, I assure you, if you want a vacation in the Hindu Kush mountains, Afghanistan is not the place for you, my guy. Uh, you know, Kabul is certainly not uh, the place where you want to go when uh, even the supposedly rich are now literally selling their children for food. So if that's a vacation, um, can I maybe recommend, I don't know, Maui? Like, you know, can, maybe, maybe somewhere else. Yeah, maybe, maybe somewhere else. I mean, if you want the mountains, maybe, you know, you go see a national park out in Wyoming or something like that. But no, it's, I mean, it's absurd, it, right? Like it's this, it's this thing where it's, it's one of those things where sometimes I wonder just how dumb you have to be to miss the common sense of, of it, right? Like just, you know, one of the things that I always like to do both in business and in life is use the thought experiment of Occam's razor, the simplest form of the idea, Right. What is it? What is the simpler thing here? Someone is trapped in a hostile country that they desperately want to get out of, or they're vacationing 
in a place that has been a war zone for 40 years. Okay. Cause it was a war zone before we got there. It's a war zone after we got, you know, after we left there, like, I mean, what, Matt, do you want to go vacation in a war zone? You know, step on some landmines, you know, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> but let me ask you this, because you I want to go back to the poverty thing when you're talking about the Afghans. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of interpreters mm-hmm. and people that helped out the Americans. And uh, journalists think it's fun talking about acronyms like SIVs and stuff. Well, I'm just talking about the people that helped out Americans. Right. And Americans, they're all stuck there. Who are all these Afghans here? Who are these people living in the world of Hyatt? So living the lap of luxury, who are these people that they are? um, Honestly, man, that's one of the things that I'm also really advocate for and really passionate about. They're our friends. Like we've been, we were at war there for 20 years and let me, all right, let me, let me back up. I will say 98% of them. Okay. Because the way that they transferred them from Doha and Germany for some places, I, I, they, they did some of it to a point that made me uncomfortable in certain facets, but the absolute vast overwhelming majority of these people there are fr- there are people like me who served with them and know them directly and know their families. Like some of these guys, there was an open letter in the Military Times today from a former interpreter who, who was an interpreter for seven years for us. A unit would be there for one year. The unit would rotate out and then he'd come and pick up the next group of Americans. All right. These when you're embedded like that and you're around that, like it's not just you don't just become friends with someone. It's like. We go as service members into their homes. We meet their wives. We meet their kids. Like this is one of those things that if there's one thing that I try and clear up really aggressively is, is it possible with the speed and the lack of patience that this administration showed at certain times trying to get them out of these lily pad countries and like to places like Camp Atterbury or Fort Carson or, uh, or Fort McCoy um, that they should have slowed that down? Absolutely. But is the vast overwhelming majority of these people that I might not know them personally, but I'm one or two phone calls away from my buddy saying, yo, that was my turp and that's a good dude. Absolutely. That's who they are for, you know, that's and good look, to hear. But no, I mean, and, and that's the thing that it's I understand the fear and I have and I and I and it's another point of immense frustration with me because all of us that were working on this was like, hey, if we're not sure, like if we can't get biometrics or we it was chaos, it was pure chaos. Like Jericho Denman, who's someone I was privileged enough to serve with in Second Ranger Battalion, when he wrote that article in the New York Post, he was talking about it being a heavy metal rock concert with only one exit and the show's on fire. Okay. Like, so you think someone might've slipped through, slipped through that door that shouldn't have totally reasonable. Right. So take the time to leave them in Doha or, and you know, and, and even if someone got through out so quick, they had to burn their, they thought they were going to have to burn their passports. They might die. And suddenly we got them. It took a little while to, to iron out the paperwork leave them in a lily pad for a little while, right? Like they're out of the country. What's the worst thing that happens? They're safe, right? That was my frustration point, especially because it muddies the water for that, you know, 2% that we should be worried about. Like, I want to be very clear with you and your audience. We absolutely do have a legitimate concern because of the speed at which this happens. But it frustrates someone like me and a lot of the people that worked on the Afghan EVAC or Save Our Allies or Digital Dunkirk. It's like, we're like, we keep trying to scream like, no, we we know the overwhelming majority of these people. Like these are good People, these are people that have fought for the American idea for 20 years. They fought to keep us safe. You know, one of the heads of Save Our Allies, Chad Robichaux, he got so into it because his interpreter literally saved his life. And his interpreter's like, I need help getting out. And Chad's like, buddy, I'm I'm on the next thing smoking. We, yeah. And when you when you take the, the millions of us who served over there, like we all have stories similar to this. Like, 
you know, and, and learning how the world works and things like that. And then again, it's another failing in this administration to just mismanage the situation, to not have the patience to be absolutely sure. Because if they had slowed it down and they were absolutely sure, I'd stand on your, I'd, I'd get on here, I'd, I'd get on any show in America on any level of political spectrum and say, these are the people we want in this country. These are, if you're going to pick someone, they've already invested in the U.S. They've already invested in the American ideal and they've kept us, the, the current and former service members safe. Like, what don't they deserve? But now I've got, you know, but now we have to sort through and worry about a couple of bad people because he didn't have patience. It's another thing that just bothers me about the whole situation. The moment one of those people does a terrorist act or something here, they're going to paint the, you know how it is. They're going to paint the whole thing as a bad apple. Right. And they're but, not. And what we don't need is an Elon Omar. I mean, are, are these people, uh, the Afghans, let's talk about them. because She was Somali. But are we going to talk about the Afghans? Are they going to assimilate in America? Do, do You said they were trying to get American ideals. Is that mm-hmm. democracy? It just reminds me, when you said that, it reminds me of the Cuban people. When the Cuban people get here, they're the salt of the earth. They assimilate very well into American society and don't try to radicalize our country. Well, I mean, what I what I think is that when it comes to assimilation, I always I always try to use the word adaptation because my family's Italian. Right. Um, you know, my great grandmother came over from Sicily and we still you know, when we do family dinner, like I'm still not three generations removed, know exactly how to make the Amenta red gravy and meatballs. Right. Right. That's, that's part of the legacy of my culture. But at the same time, like, I mean, just look what I'm wearing. It's, it's like red, white and blue all over the place. You know, I've got well, you follow you know, the laws. You follow the stoplight. Yeah, You're not no, trying absolutely. to free prisoners and stuff. You yeah, know what I'm absolutely. talking about? The radical ideologies is something we have a problem with with the Democrats here. We don't need more of that. <laughs> no, and, you know, I mean, I, you know, and I can say from that point, like, you know, all the Afghans that I that I worked with, that I served with, the ones that, that were coming over, they are so grateful to be here and even some you know i was i had uh when i was working with people like i you know some of the the afghans didn't just come here to the united states some of them went to the united kingdom some of them went to romania um you know with with some of the teams that i that you know i was trying to just do what i could to help and and introduce people and make connections and things like that and the thing that i'm noticing about all of is is the starters are so grateful that they're not there to right to start and then it's how do i learn how to be in this new place and one of the things that actually when you start talking about save our allies and you start talking about assimilation and things like that, that frankly, the government has no plan for, or, or it's starting to show that they don't really have a plan for is that yeah. I, so a very good friend of mine, I, I used to live in Indiana and I was actually at Camp Atterbury, Indiana for a while in the national guard. So I know that area really, really well. It's one of the places, it's one of the way stations here in the United States for some of these Afghans to get all the documentation checked, get all their paperwork and everything and go, they're having problem getting their work papers right now because the government bureaucracy is so slow. All right. And there are dozens of jobs if they want them waiting for them. And the Afghans that are I can't speak to the rest of the country. I can only speak to Atterbury because I have firsthand knowledge of it. The Afghans are getting frustrated because they're ready to go. They're ready to work. They're ready to contribute. They're ready to be like, game on. Like, here's 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 the next level. Here's the next step up. Right. Like like we came here. You're going to give us an opportunity to put our nose to the grindstone. We're going to exhibit that American work that work ethic because like hard work is a universal work ethic, right? Like the right type of person just steps up. I say this all the time. I don't care where you start in the world. I don't care where you start in life. I don't care what advantage or disadvantage you have, or what base you were born on. If you put your head down and you work hard, you will always get farther than you will if you don't do it. And they're all ready to work, man. They That's are. That's great. That's great to hear. Now let's talk real quick in our last couple minutes here about the Americans left behind. Okay. Are they missionaries? Are they related to Afghan people? Are they... 
of, of Afghan descent. I mean, who are these Americans that were trying to get out and, and, and what are they doing to survive? I mean, who are they? So, I mean, I can tell you from the, from the three groups that you just mentioned, I know from what I know is a little bit of all of the above. Um, part of, part of the problem when it came to all of this was that the state department didn't know exactly who was there. And for what, I know that there are some, uh, non-government, um, Agency people, you know, some NGOs, some nonprofits that that are there. I know that there are some, you know, some missionaries, um, which are which are there. Uh, I know that you had that in one case. He thankfully he's out now, but at the very beginning, that didn't make it. I knew a gentleman who didn't understand the special immigrant visa rules and laws, and he had a 15 year old little brother, and he th- and he's an American citizen with an American passport. Uh, was you know of of Afghan descent, moved to the United States, became a naturalized citizen. He didn't think he could bring his 15-year-old brother back and he refused to leave because his choice was, my, I'm the only family my little brother's got. So I'm going to stay with my little brother and I'm going to protect my little brother or I'm going to leave my little brother to, to goodness knows what. So at this point, the, the brother and him are, have, have since been able to get out, but they didn't get out until after 9-11. Um, they didn't get out until a whole bunch of just insanity. And so it's it's things like that. It's people like that 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 are out there. It was these NGOs that were way out in the boondocks that didn't understand what was going on, and there was no way on earth they were getting back to Kabul without an airlift, which of course we didn't provide for them because I mean, why would we do? You know, why would we protect an American citizen in harm's way? At least in this case, um, you know. So it was things. It was you know, it's it's a little smattering of all of that, and that was, um, and it just gets more and more difficult. And it's just, you know, because then it's you start trying to figure out how you're going to do it. And each time you succeed and each time the bad guys and the Taliban figure out what you're doing, and they move to stop it. Now you got to come up with something else. And, That's right. and the thing is, it's really sad about this is the vast majority of this, despite what our government is saying, isn't being done by our government. It's being done by organizations like Save Our Allies. It's That's being right. done by private American citizens who just refuse to let this be the status quo. And that, Matt, of all the things that frustrates me is that because the other thing is, is like if you're just going to have like raw diplomatic, like this is how it's going to work. Everything is so bad there that all the Biden administration truly has to do is call the Taliban to the table and go meet us in Doha. All of y'all sit them down and go, here's the deal. Twenty billion dollars. We will administer it. We will organize it. We will govern it. We will feed your people. But all of this shenanigans and all this nonsense stops today or good luck. And you want to know what? I promise you at this point, as bad as it is, as all the numbers are coming out, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, the 20 that you have no idea about the green cards that we've been secretly holding because, you know, they have they're right there. And there's some guys over there. Oh, there's a whole bunch of Australians over there. We don't know how they didn't get out in the first place. I think there's a Belgian over there, maybe a Swiss. Like it's the floodgates. It's an absolute mess. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Tom Amenta, thank you for joining us on the Buff Show. The The book is a 20-year war. Thank you for fighting for these people. Thank you for not letting us forget about these people because we got to get them out of there. Living under Taliban rule, not cool at all. Thank you so much for and, – and Biden really messed this up. This is one of the big flubs right here, this and the really borders. Thank you so much for joining us on the Buff Show. Thanks for having me, Matt. We'll get the links out there on thebuffshow.com. You guys stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Since 2012, Cellular Tronics has been providing Central Florida with the best phone repair and electronics repair. We fix all electronics from iPhone, Samsung, Sony, and many more. We also do TV repair and fix your tablets. Right now, you can get a glass back cover for the iPhone 8 to an iPhone X for only $95. iPhone 11 and up, back covers are only $120. We have two locations to serve you in Sanford and DeBerry. Visit Cellulartronics.com or call 407-302-3396. That's Cellulartronics.com or 407-302-3396. Welcome back to the Buff Show in the Liam Fitzpatrick studio. I'm your host, Matt Buff. Great to have you rolling along with us today on 94.9 FM, AM 950, The Answer Orlando. We're going to keep it going here with Tom Mullen. He's the host of the Tom Mullen Talks Freedom Podcast, author of Where Do Conservatives and Liberals Come From? And Whatever Happened to Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness and a Return to Common Sense. Best-selling author, Tom Mullen, welcome back to the Buff Show. Great to have you. Great to be here. Well, it's always fun having you on the show when we talk. We don't always agree on everything, but I think one thing that we can certainly agree on is the war on Christmas. And liberals love to make fun of us when we say there's a war on Christmas. But you can see it in front of your own eyes with the changing of texts and everything. It's just in the, in the commercials, this holiday season, this holiday season, yeah, you're selling the thing for Christmas, Tom. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, in years past, before the so-called new normal, um, uh, there was a kind of a subtle war on Christmas. You know, you could say happy holidays, you could say happy Hanukkah, you could say happy Ramadan, but Merry Christmas and oh my gosh. And really what this is, is a war on Western civilization. You know, it used to be called Christendom. Um and, you know, that has really intensified in the last couple of years. And now it's very overt. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying that it was uh, intentional, but certainly this is a, a big Christmas present for the left that, may hey, we can even keep them from celebrating now. They're, we won't even let them have more than five people in their house. You know, it, it's, it's crazed. It, you really have to question the mental health of somebody who gets bent out of shape because they hear the words Merry Christmas. Somebody says Happy Hanukkah to me thinking I'm Jewish. I just say, thank you. Same to you. It's a layup. I mean, these people are, are out of their minds. Yeah, that's right. And I saw uh, Jimmy Fallon and Matthew McConaughey last night doing a song where they were just grateful that they were allowed to celebrate with people at home again. They were grateful that the government said we could celebrate at home again. Last year, we were completely celebrating any time, any way we wanted to. And so that's the one aspect of it. But you're absolutely right. When they think that the majority of people, you, you were citing a poll I want to talk about, because it, it's not the, it's just, interesting to how people think because i've never met anybody that uh, gets offended when i say merry christmas now th there is some people tom and you've probably seen this too some people when you say merry christmas they're like thank you back to you or same you or happy holidays but their day went on yeah i mean like i said this is a mental illness i mean of course the political act activists who are a tiny minority of of the population you know, they create the controversy. Most people don't think like this, but, you know, some people uh, with all the goodwill in the world wanting to, you know, go along to get along and not offend anybody start adopting these idiotic policies 
But you'd be surprised. It's not just Christmas, the new normal, the whole thing. You know, the vaccine mandates, the um, the lockdowns, the mask mandates. There's a lot of people around you who disagree and are afraid to say something. And all you got to do is speak up and you'll be surprised at how many people are, are standing with you. Just were afraid to say it. Well, absolutely. And somebody who is great at saying it, we'll get to the poll in a second because it's just shocking the numbers there. But do you remember when President Trump would talk about Merry Christmas? Let me play this clip for you. We don't have Joe Biden talking like this in the least when he's reading the teleprompter. And something I said so much during the last two years, but I'll say it again, as we approach the end of the year, you know, we're getting near that beautiful Christmas season that people don't talk about anymore. <laughs> they don't use the word Christmas because it's not politically correct. You go to department stores and they'll say Happy New Year and they'll say other things and it'll be red. They'll have it painted, but they don't say, well, guess what? We're saying Merry Christmas again. <laughs> All right. I, don't you miss that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Trump was no libertarian. There's things I disagreed with him on, but God, didn't he just go in there and and tear down all this sanctimony, especially around the government itself? I, I miss be, people being fired on Twitter. You know, James, <laughs> when you think about <laughs> you know desecrating their their cathedral there, they've they've replaced religion with the with the government, and he goes in there and and just blasts it. So yeah, I wish he was still in there. Yeah, no kidding. I, I missed that talk. Like, and he did that, by the way, without a teleprompter. He was just talking to a crowd. It's just, it's just nice to see somebody who can eloquently speak. I mean, he wasn't the best speaker, but compared to Joe Biden, I mean, it's not the king's speech here. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, he was. His instincts were very good on a lot of things, and and let me give him credit for a couple of things. Number one, um, you know, he he did that uh, uh, political. Um, I'm sorry, uh, criminal justice reform. I think that there are way too many people in jail for nonviolent crimes. Uh, he also had great instincts on foreign policy. And it was when he was breaking from the script that the best stuff came out. Unfortunately, he was surrounded by swampers that, that at every turn tried to undermine that. And I was out there with my little platform saying, no, 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 no. Just bring us out of Afghanistan. This is back in 2018. Everybody's behind you. Don't listen to anyone in the beltway. His instincts were fantastic on stuff like that. Yeah, on stuff like that. Not so much on the COVID stuff with the 15 days to slow the, slow the spread and stuff like that, which has now turned in on going on three years, Tom. But it's just unbelievable how um, he did bring a different change and a different tone. And the tone was what the problem people had while they were filling up their car for a buck 70 while they were getting uh, company checks because of the tax breaks, <laughs> they were still complaining about the tone. And now we're in this real bad situation to where the, the left is saying, we need to replace Joe Biden. And I'm like, no, 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 no take backs. You're stuck with this guy. You forced him <laughs> on us and you installed him. You can't sit there and, and try to take it back and say, well, maybe we made a mistake. No, no, no. You got to live with it. Like just the rest of us do. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, you know, if you go and look at the federal outlays and receipts for, you know, since World War II, here's something that's true. Um, whenever a, a Democratic president is in office and a Republican Congress who hates his guts has complete control of the Congress, the government grows the least. 
So if we can make it through next year and, and the Republicans can take Congress, that's that's when spending at least grows the least. You know, when a Republican's in there, unfortunately, it goes up twice as fast as when a Democrat's in there in the White House because there's no one to say no. Um, but uh, yeah, that's why I wish Trump would have run as a Democrat. We would have had the great sweet spot and maybe he would have stayed in there. But uh, and <laughs> without changing any of his policies or his irreverence for the almighty state. Yeah, that would have been a confusing series of events for Democrats. Like, well, he's one of us, but he doesn't seem like he's one of us. <laughs> Which is what the Republicans said, right? He doesn't seem like he's a Republican, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He can go both ways. As long as they don't tinker around with the vote in uh, 2022, I think we should be in good shape. But the, uh, this recent Fairleigh Dickinson University poll, nearly 40% of Americans believe politicians are attempting to re remove Christianity out of Christmas itself. Like back in 2013, only 29% of America, Americans believed this. And 71% of those who voted for Trump in 2020 compared to 14% uh, who voted for Biden felt this way. So if you're a Democrat, you're kind of just ignoring the problem. But if you're a Republican, it seems, according to this poll, and I don't know how independents and libertarians feel, but they feel like there is an effort to remove Christmas, just like you said at the top of the interview. It, it just feels like there's that effort there. I, I'm surprised it's not higher. Well, and I don't know if I, I forgive me if I said this on uh, the last time we talked, but it's just part and parcel of the left's worldview and strategy, which is just let's just run the French Revolution over and over again. And one day it's supposed to work. Right. You know, back then they had to tear down all the statues, rename all the streets. We couldn't call each other, you know, by our names. It's got to be citizen. Right now it's the pronouns. It's just that's an interesting little twist. But, you know, they they want to tear down every vestige of Western civilization and replace it with their utopia, which doesn't even sound good to me if, if they could achieve it, you know, because uh, it, it's never going to work. It didn't work in Russia in 1917. It didn't work in China in 1949. Didn't work in Cambodia in the 1960s. They just want to keep doing it. So knocking down Christianity is one of those things that erases the past. Okay. So, you know, they don't bother knocking down Islam or Buddhism or, or uh, Judaism because those aren't the foundations of our society. Uh, they got to get Christianity out of there. Well, they're going one step farther. When you talk about Islam, the house passed a resolution saying they want to ban Islamophobia in the world, across the world. And they passed this. Islamophobia. So if somebody in Argentina gets raped by a Muslim man, you're not allowed to say you got raped by a Muslim man because you're going to be accused of Islamophobia. A worldwide effort on Islamophobia. I mean, this is insane. The, the, the number one terrorist organizations in the world are Muslim. I mean, we got to walk a fine line there, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I think you have to, you know, also recognize that, um, you know, most Muslims do not, um, interpret their religion this way, just like most Christians don't want to burn heretics at the stake anymore. But there is a, there is a minority of people who, you know, think like it's 1400. And, uh, you know, most of these people, it's out of ignorance, grinding poverty. The fact that they have socialist governments and, and that keep them in poverty is part of the problem there. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, you can't just ignore the fact that that's where they're getting these ideas is a kind of, uh, 
uh, anachronistic interpretation of books that were written, you know, in a much more what Jefferson would have called the most barbarous ages. No, absolutely. And, th and that's when I say that. I don't say all Muslims are terrorists. I said all terrorists typically are Muslim. That's, there's a big difference. But uh, I tell you what, the, they do that, right? They want to stop Islamophobia. They want to lock up their political enemies like Mark Meadows. They want to ban Christmas, but still have the candy canes and everything like Trump said in that clip, everything look like Christmas, but they just want everybody to fall in line with their singular narrative. And that is the point. Yeah, and they deny the uh, existence of objective reality. This is another thing that comes out of Hegel and Marx and that whole way of looking at the world. And, you know, um, I've always said the free market's not perfect. You know, nothing that we can do will ever be perfect, but it's got a heck of a lot better uh, track record than Marxism. And, you know, another little um, piece of reality they don't want you to hear about, in the last 30 or 35 years now, uh, extreme poverty has gone down by over 90%. And all of the gains, all of the places where that poverty has gone down significantly are countries that became less socialist and more capitalist. Are they laissez-faire? No. But not a single country has poverty going down where they're becoming less capitalist and more socialist. So freedom works. It's not perfect. There will never be anything perfect. But to replace it with what the left has in mind, I mean, that's that's mass insanity, mass hysteria. That's you're exactly right. You can't point to a socialist country and say, look at that wonderful success. They say, oh, what about Sweden? And, you know, what, you know, let me tell you something. Sweden was about to become Venezuela in the early 90s. And what did they do? They cut taxes significantly. They cut spending significantly. Yeah, they still have government health care because once it's there, you can't get rid of it. But the thing that saved the Nordic countries, the thing that saved Canada, which is just a few miles from me, is um, cutting government and making their, their economies more free market. They all score higher in everything but government spending uh, than the United States does now on every uh, economic freedom in index. So there's something to be learned there. Well said. Tom Mullen, everybody check out the Tom Mullen Talks Freedom Podcast and check out the books, Where Do Conservatives and Liberals Come From? Thank you so much for joining us on The Buff Show, Tom. Always great insight. Always my pleasure, man. Thank you. We'll do this again in the new year and Merry Christmas to you. Same to you. <laughs> yeah, that's what we talked about. We'll be right back on The Buff Show. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Buff Show, AM 950, 94.9 FM. The Lando, Matt Buff, your host here in the Liam Fitzpatrick studio. Thanks for rolling along with us today. We're going to go to a special guest right now for our Buff Show Christmas book tour, The Gift of Reading this Christmas season. Joe Palmiazano is the author of the New Life Lessons children's book titled Penguinville, Come find yourself. Joe, welcome to the Buff Show. Great to have you on the show with us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Maz. It's a pleasure. Well, first, before we jump into all the politics of critical race theory and stuff like that and what they're teaching our kids on the bookshelves, why don't you tell us about your book? Because I believe this is a book that needs to be on the shelves. Well, I wrote this book actually about 25 years ago for my son. And... Uh, as as years the years passed, it became more relevant today than it did before. Our kids, uh, young people, are being bombarded daily with, you know, how they should dress, what they should look like, um, 
how they should walk, how they should talk, everything. And so, and then on top of that, because of social media and because of all the things, they're, uh, they're, they're told they have to look a certain way and act a certain way and hang out with this certain group. And, and they're actually comparing themselves, Matt, with carefully crafted, airbrushed images of the perfect person carefully crafted and edited resumes. Um, and, and in the, in all of this, they either can collapse under the weight of trying to be who they aren't and know who they aren't deep down, but know there's something, knowing there's something special in them that they can't get out because of all the surface things that they're asked to do. So they, they either collapse under the weight of it or they too often craft a carefully created facade that they begin to build as a young person and it, it follows them throughout their whole life and they essentially lose who they are. Uh, Penguinville Come Find Yourself is a... Uh, I, I wrote it for a purpose, not for to become famous or rich or anything like that by writing a book. As I said, I wrote it for my son so he would have this lesson. And then it was put into a book and, and beautifully illustrated by Laura Watson. Um, and, and it's a rhyming book. It's a fun book. But it, it, tells, the, it tells young people who they are deep down and that they're not in their hair. They're not in their skin color. They're not in any um, physical challenge that they might have, a handicap that they may have, a scar, a blemish. They're not that. They are much deeper and they need to find that person. So it's a book that begins that discussion for parents to be able to read it to their kids and say, let's talk about this. Let's talk about who you are and, and how important it is that you don't lose yourself in trying to compete in this social media time that we live in. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly why I wanted to bring you on the show when it comes to talking about that book, because Today, we've we've interviewed people that have been to school boards and things like that and found what's been on the bookshelves to be really disturbing. And so this is exactly why I wanted to talk to you about it, because it is more relevant today. I want to introduce everybody to Joe Palmisano. Um, you describe yourself as living as like a Forrest Gump kind of life. You, you've been an entrepreneur, owned multiple businesses. You've been a college football coach, radio personality and much more stuff. You, you travel to China to compete in a 22-nation Kung Fu tournament at the age of 66, winning two gold medals. Yes. And now you've written a book, and, and, and you, writ, you wrote this book, and not, it, your son was the inspiration, but the book has come out. What a life you have lived, and, and your life experiences are what we need today on how to find yourself, how to come find yourself and who you want to be, not collectivism. Exactly. If I would have listened to everybody in life, 
who said, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. And, uh, you know, you find a job and you stay with it and you do this and you don't try this. I have learned, um, you know, Mark Twain said the definition of success is ignorance and perseverance uh, and confidence. And, and ignorance is one thing. I just believed I could do things. Um, I didn't care what people thought of me as far as what I was doing. So, you know, as a college coach, I left. I owned nightclubs when I was in my 20s. And, uh, you know, I started Kung Fu at about 58 years old and uh, 66 remarkable. to China and, and competed against uh, men 50 and over. So I was 16 years older than some of the youngest guys. And, and just traveling to China itself was unbelievable. So I, I just want to be, and I'm not special. I'm just stupid enough to think I can do these things. And, and I don't let people, I don't listen to that little voice in my head. And I don't listen to those people outside of my head saying, you can't do this. How do you, how do you go from, how do you do a talk show for 15 years on the radio? You know, how, how do you pull that off when you have no radio experience? Well, uh, I did it by not caring that I got fired. So just speaking my mind. And when I was raw and real, people listened. Um, I want kids to know that. I want young people to know that. Yeah, that is fantastic. Just stupid enough to try it. That's exactly right. It's really true. That's why I say Forrest Gump, because if you look at the movie, Forrest Gump wasn't a brilliant person. He he just kept doing things. Uh, yeah. Kept and it's trying fun. things. Yeah. Didn't quit. Didn't care if he failed. Didn't know any different. Um, and, and just kept plugging away. And that's that's really been my life. You know, um, one thing you could try is maybe being a bodyguard since you're so good at Kung Fu and in such good shape. When the left starts coming after yours truly, I would love to have a Joel Palmisano down here. Uh, call me. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk offline about that. But when we, I have young kids, uh, 10, 14, 18, one's in college, one's in middle school, one's in elementary school. Right. And the stuff that they bring home sometimes is ridiculous. I want to play a clip because we have Governor DeSantis down here in Florida. And when I was reading some information that you've been uh, researching on, it just goes right along with this. He came out this week and uh, is bringing the woke agenda to its knees here in Florida. Check this so out. Today, we are going to be introducing to the public and, and we have legislators who are going to help us with this, um, a new piece of legislation for the upcoming legislative session called Stop Wrongs Against Our Kids and Employees Act, the Stop Woke Act. And it's something that... Wow. <laughs> And this will do a number of things that are very important. One, it will put into statute uh, the Department of Education's prohibition on CRT in K through 12 schools. No taxpayer dollars should be used to teach our kids to hate our country or to hate each other. I had to bring that clip on for you because when I was prepping for this interview, I'm like, Joe would probably love this. <laughs> I, I, do, I do love it. it. It is, you know, and I love your governor. Um, 
he is bold. Uh, he, you know, as a person who lives in Ohio, and we have a Republican governor, Mike DeWine, but Mike DeWine is kind of a milk toast kind of Republican when compared to now he's he's good. I'd rather have him than a lot of people, but I you can't compare him to your to Governor DeSantis. He is he is not nearly as bold as him. No, I love I, that. And and we can't teach our kids these things. You know, the UN came out, Matt, with something recently that they say all schools around the nation, the whole world must teach these four things. And they named them out. And they said, we have to incorporate, every school, every nation has to incorporate these. Global warming, or or whatever you call it now, climate change. Um, uh, equality. Racism, yeah. The, all these things. And, and so I'm thinking to myself when I read that, what happened to reading and writing and arithmetic. What happened? It's, is it any wonder that our reading grades across the country are pitiful? That kids can't write a story any longer? That our math grades are suffering compared to the rest of the world? We're not teaching basics anymore. We're trying to indoctrinate kids. That's right. When you teach the basics, Joe, then you can allow that individualism. Okay, here's here's a here's a guideline of stuff you need to know: math, reading, writing, how to properly form a sentence, how to construct an essay. You know, those are great tools. Now, let's go out and find what makes you an individual. What path in a career do you want to be? Instead, we're teaching kids to hate each other, just like uh, Governor DeSantis just said. Instead of teaching kids to hate each other, yes, build a team. Build a yes. community yes. of individuals. The collectivism in mind think, where they want everybody to think the th same, it just doesn't work, and it creates a bunch of sheep and puppets, and Mike DeWine needs to come down to Florida for a two-week lesson <laughs> on how to be a proper governor in Ohio. But that's okay, Joe. We need to really be bring out the individualism in kids and let them be the best champion in a career field of their choice. Oh, yeah. And, and Matt, we have to let them, on, on top of that, we have to actually grade these kids fairly. If you fail, you fail. And we have to get back to not these, all right, they're trying to say, take away the letters, in constant improvement. I mean, we had a failing school up here in Canton, Ohio, that every year, instead of saying it failed, then they're they're not a, they're not doing what they're supposed to do with the young kids. They kept saying continual improvement, and it's like really this is the same stuff we saw last year. We have to allow kids to fail. We have to take away. We have to put a safety net, but we have to allow kids to fail. I mean, you you have to be. The, the everyone gets a trophy mentality, the you didn't do any work and you didn't show up for class, but we're going to pass you into the next grade. That is what's causing most of the problem in the United States. And it's got to no. stop. No, you're exactly right. 
And the safety net is the parents, not the school boards. Yes. Joe Palmazano, thank you so much for joining us. The book is titled Penguinville, Come Find Yourself. And then go check out all you can on Joe. Uh, it's just great to have you on the show. Merry Christmas and thank you so much. Thank you so much, man. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all of your audience. And that'll do it for this evening's edition of The Buff Show. You guys stay smart out there and have yourself a great weekend.